All right, Melanie, it's nice to have you on today. I'm glad to have you here because I really is one of the major things that I want to discuss uh, on this subject matter today is about, you know, actually getting into the workforce, especially when you're trying to start your second career or find your expiring career that you want to get to. And I know that you have so much history of doing this that I want you to kind of like help me, you know, talk to the audience a little bit more about their details and their depths and actually how to get right side of how they want to get to the career that they want to and the approach that they should take. But before we get to that point, can you just talk to me about a little bit, get the audience a little bit more of a history about how you got to the point where you're actually a career coach? Yeah, no, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So I was a recruiter for over 20 years and I worked in with a variety of firms uh, throughout, um, I'm based here in the Washington DC area, but I did recruiting nationwide. Um, and I've worked in with a variety of different industries, uh, levels of professionals. So from entry level college graduates up through C-level executives. And so that was really my career for, um, for really quite some time. And in 2016, I left the company that it was kind of a long time coming. I, I probably should have left a lot sooner than I had, but, um, and I put myself in the market and truthfully, I wasn't, I was really kind of unclear with what direction even for myself at that point, I thought I was going to do uh, corporate recruiting that was really going to be my focus. And so I set out to do that. I put myself in the market, uh, had an opportunity to take some coaching courses and still didn't know like if, where that was going to play a role in and then um, had you know, and I needed to, um, I'm always so cheerful that I needed the extra cash. So I was like, well, I could help do some resumes. And, you know, that would be a great way to earn some extra cash and, um, you know, rebuild some of my finances um, based on where I was at at the time. And then it just snowballed from there. So um, fast forward to 2018, I was then doing coaching full time. And, um, and, you know, came an opportunity um, that I could um, my position that I was in was I was going to be laid off and I kind of knew the writing was on the wall and I wasn't, I wasn't scared or upset about it. Um, and I really said, okay, if I can, if I'm doing this, cause I was literally working full time and trying to do coaching full time. It, it was squeezing in as much as I could anywhere and everywhere. And I was like, well, what if I just did coaching full time, like really made that my focus and made that my practice. Could I make a, could I build a successful business? And I, so I took a chance on myself, had an opportunity to do that and um, really have ran with it. And now um, really four years later of, and, you know, continuing to build the business and continuing to build that and uh, still doing it full time. Wow. Like, it's amazing. Like every time I talk to an entrepreneur, it's like, they always know for some odd reason, it's just a calling um, where they just say, you know what, what's the worst that could happen? And Pretty much, I'm just going to bet on myself. It's really like an interesting concept of that of that shift in the mindset to where you decide that you know it's one of those things that you know I know I can do this. It's just a matter of focus and the saying you know having the confidence to just go out on the limb and say you know what I don't need the protection of a company. I can just do this thing myself. Yeah, I mean it was definitely scary. I never set out to be an entrepreneur. I never even used those terms. I never even like if you'd said hey you you know if you told me ten years ago you're going to be an entrepreneur I'd been like okay, whatever. Um, that, that wasn't like, I didn't even like think like that. I was like, whatever I, you know, like, okay. But I also never had, you know, it was funny because when I was in the middle of recruiting, especially in my last job, I always knew that I was always like, well, what's going to be next? Like I couldn't see myself in that company 
for the rest of my career. I couldn't see myself in the staffing world for the rest of my career and the position that I was at. I just was like, but I never had an answer for myself. And so, um, you know, and so it was like when that light bulb went off, I was like, wow, this kind of makes sense. Like this makes the next logical sense. And so that's, um, you know, and I did have a lot of experience and I did have a lot of, you know, background that I could, um, you know, lean in towards. And so that's really where I, you know, where I started it from. So basically it's like a, one of those things where um, it's, it's the trait, it's the tools and the skills that you picked up over years that made you more reliable to yourself that you felt like you can do, you can branch out and do these things yourself. Yeah, I mean, I felt like, you know, I built a career 20 years in the recruiting industry and, you know, and that's truthfully nothing um, to, sh that's, some people would say that's crazy. Um, so um, recruiting is really hard <laughs> and, um, you know, but I built a successful career and, um, you know, built a career where I, you know, had, you know, had confidence in my abilities, but I also saw this an opportunity and that's really where I think, you know, it's taken some time, but I think that's where I'm leaning in towards now is being able to see that there's not a lot of coaches that have the background that I do in terms of where I come from and having been on the behind the scenes, been working with clients as well as candidates, understanding what the hiring process really is like, what it's like to be um, a recruiter, how to work with a recruiter. So I think, you know, it was one of those things when I really started to dive deep, um, I saw that that was something that a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there, but that was something that a lot of coaches don't have. And so I felt like, okay, that's unique. That sets me apart. And, um, you know, so, and so now I'm leaning more into that and, you know, really trying to build from that. And, um, you know, so yeah, I really saw, I was like, okay, I know how to do these things. You know, I, I've been successful getting my candidates hired over and over and over. And I know what makes a successful candidate. So just take all of that and apply it to a client and help them understand what, how to navigate the behind the scenes. So my question uh, that I have first is that, how does someone get into the recruiting industry? Does that something they set out to do or is it just typical or is there like a, a certain um, skills that companies are looking for when they're looking for a recruiter? So I fell into it completely by accident. And I don't think there's a single soul in this world that goes, hey, I want to grow up and be a recruiter one day. Um, you know, like, I don't think anybody ever says that. So, um, you know, I actually had an introduction. I was moving from Missouri to D.C. Um, and a friend of uh, my actual first boss, my mentor in the business, um, was friends with my um fiance's husband at the time and said, Hey, we know she has an opening. And, um, the firm that I started with typically didn't necessarily hire people with back quote unquote, typical backgrounds with, within recruiting. They hired people that came from, like I came from a special events administrative uh, background. And so I was first doing administrative customer service, doing everything of that nature. So those were the types of jobs I first started with. Um, and so they, you know, I had an opportunity, I interviewed, um, and, you know, that was probably one of the more intimidating interviews that I've ever had. Um, but I really honestly took, you know, this was, of course, 20 years ago, I just honestly, I was like, well, if I get the job, and I don't like it, 
then I'll at least be out there and then I'll find something else. Like I was like, um, because again, that wasn't on my radar. I didn't really even know uh, what recruiters did or what, you know, I'd never used a recruiter. I had never had um, really any interactions with recruiters or anything like that. So it was a whole different world to me. And um, so, yeah, so it was, you know, it was all by happenstance. And I think that happens quite a lot. I've hired people myself that have had no background in recruiting before. Um, some of my best recruiters were actually those individuals. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then you usually, if you're really good at it, you can build a career with it. You know, you, you really can build a career and um, develop that. And, and for me, I was always the kid that, you know, um, wanted to be about 101 things when she grew up and never really, you know, I, I kind of meandered through college for a little bit. And so, um, you know, that's kind of where it, you know, I just didn't ever have that one sh direction of like, this is what I want to do. And Got so I, I'm a mixed bag. <laughs> oh, okay. So what question I was going to ask, Ooh, I just lost it. Did I lose it? No, I didn't. Okay, so the question I was going to ask is basically how do you come up to a point where uh, in the span of the last 20 years, how has recruiting um, grown over time? Like I know it started out a certain type of way 20 years ago, but now it's probably expanded all the way into like human resources at this point in time right now. Yeah, I mean, you get there's, you know, now there's really subsets in human resources. So, you know, recruitment being one of those, um, one of those pieces. And so it's, you know, it's become a very, you know, very big piece, even for small businesses. Um, they probably have somebody that's just designated, they may wear many hats and do multiple aspects of HR, but probably handle the recruitment process. And so, um, you know, with the with technology continuing to advance, you know, there's been different aspects of recruitment that I think have, you know, also, um, you know, have continued to advance as well. So you see it, you see it much more, it's much more uh, prominent. And it's, a, you know, usually a pretty big piece within, um, excuse me, within uh, an organization's, you know, framework. So um, what is, uh, is there any credentials that uh, an expiring recruiter needs now to actually get into the business? Um, not necessarily. I mean, there are certifications with, um, you know, human resources and things like that. I, you know, truthfully, the best thing, that, you know, is being able to, you really have to understand the aspects of recruitment really come down to being sales. Um it's a huge sales, you know, aspect, and regardless if you're, you know, in the staffing and the recruiting side of the piece, or you're even an in-house corporate recruiter, you know, you're all, you're always going to have to sell your company, sell the position. Um, you're going to get told no about a thousand times a day. And so you have to, I, you know, I don't know that there's any certification that can truly prepare you for that. You know, like I can train, I always told people like I can, can, I can train you to be a, I can give you the tools and train you how to like work the system and work with candidates and, you know, really train you in the recruiting process. But what I can't train is your mindset. I can't train you to, um, you know, I am not a natural salesperson. I never have been. Um, and I used to have a boss that used to tell me that all the time. I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, and, um, and so, you know, a lot of times staffing agencies in particular do look for really, you know, strong salespeople. Um, 
I just have an ability to, you know, one of my strengths just happens to be to uh, really an innate ability to listen and just hone in on individuals. And so that has helped me, you know, be able to find and connect with clients as well as candidates, which led me to be, you know, which led to my success. Um, and, you know, those are things that I don't necessarily know you can, you know, you can get better at, but you really can't train on. And unless you have a, you know, you have to be prepared to, to have a thick skin. And so, you know, I would tell somebody that, you know, when it comes to certifications, I always tell people really look at the industry that you're trying to get into and really see if it really matters, you know, do job descriptions really require it, you know, things like that. If they don't, then it's not necessarily something you have to have. Got you. Okay. So now you, you lay it out. You lay it out. One of the things that you said earlier, a successful candidate. What makes a successful candidate in your eyes? So I think one of the things that is somebody that is very flexible. And I go back to somebody that is very kind of open-minded. Um, it's and I and I really want to hone in on this because I'm not talking about years of experience. I'm not talking about um, you know, you, you have to fit a certain, um, you know, you have to check all the boxes. Um, you know, once I had a candidate that it was the middle, it was, you know, so I've worked in the best of economies. Um, and that's when I got my start. Um, I've gone through two recessions and now as a coach, I've gone through a pandemic. <laughs> and so, um, I've seen a lot of different, types of markets um you know and one i had one candidate back in the recession back in 2010 um she would just take you know these short-term temporary opportunities and there was a lot of people that um kind of would always like turn their nose down to that and um but this one candidate she always accepted it, it was this, and it was like a super easy job literally she i mean nothing exciting like she was just making copies um, but the company that she was with noticed her and um, then would say, hey, can you have her come back and do this or have her come back and do this? So she had an opportunity to really showcase other abilities. And they came to us and said, you know, she's done, she's been so reliable. She's been so, you know, efficient. Um, she always does an excellent job. We want to consider her for this opportunity. And the truth is, if that company had come to me with that job description, I would not have said, oh, think about this candidate. Okay. You know, I never would have like thought because she on paper wouldn't have necessarily been, you know, the, a match per se. Right. But because she was flexible, because she was open minded with opportunities that were presented to her, she got an opportunity to shine. And I think and she didn't shut the door on, you know, those potential things. And ultimately ended up getting hired full time by that company. So, you know, so those are the types of things that like, I always remember, you know, that particular story, because I think it, if anything that we need to be right now, um, in this market, when you have a lot of things coming at you, it's an interesting market, but I think flexibility and being open minded to opportunities that maybe don't necessarily fit your box uh, is really important. That's amazing because I think a lot of people are sure that they're checking all the blocks. And that's why I asked you about the credentialing part, because a lot of people think I need to have a credential in this area, education in this area. And some of those are requirements, but sometimes it depends on if it's a hard no for some of these companies on certain line items, right? 
Right. Yeah. I mean, some companies, here's the thing. I come from a place point of view of we've got to focus on the things that we can control. There's so many things that we can't control in this process. The moment you hit submit on your resume, you can't control if somebody is or isn't going to read your resume or is or isn't going to read a cover letter. So you have to control those things, you know, taking control of like, how do you want to present yourself? How do you want to show up on social media? How does, how do you want your resume to show up? And you, you know, you may find that that company isn't necessarily, you know, maybe they are sticklers and they are by the box because there's definitely those companies that you have to have the education, the years of experience, you have to have all of these things. And then that may not necessarily be ultimately the company for you if that's what, if you're not, you know, checking those boxes. Now, if it's something that's like, no, this is where I want to get, you know, my foot in the door or whatever, then you may have to think about like, okay, what is it going to take for you to get your foot in the door? You know, you may not be there right now. And that doesn't mean you can't be there in five or, you know, three or five, 10 years, but maybe it's not the right match right now. And you need to do some steps to get yourself in that position. So you really have to be evaluating your job search and what you're looking for and what the market is looking for. You know, that's interesting because I ran a, a poll on LinkedIn um, not too long ago. Where I asked basically this simple question of uh, what what is the main priority for you when looking for a job? And, you know, I listed out uh, pay, uh, workplace or happiness or personal, you know, self-worth, happiness. And that. And like, with Warsaw was self-workplace or pay. That's you bring up that it may just be. A certain company may not fit the criteria that you wanted to be in the first place when it comes down to it, even though that may be the salary that you're looking for. It was just may not be the fit. So you would rather probably want the fit anyway because of what you're trying to aspire to. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at it. You have to look at it very holistically. You can't just, you know, I mean, some people, yeah, pay. I mean, hey, we all have bills to pay. You know, we all have bills <laughs> that are coming in and got to keep a roof over our heads and food on the table. So, you know, and I get it. And maybe sometimes we're not in positions to always be, um, you know, flexible. You know, you know, sometimes maybe we are more, we have to be more than flexible with it. Maybe sometimes we have, you know, well, maybe we should be more flexible with it, you know, when, if, if pay is, you know, cause that, that's a, that's a livelihood issue. Um, mm -hmm. But again, that doesn't mean that a job isn't just a stop, you know, it's just a, it's just part of your journey. It doesn't have to be the end destination. Um, but when it comes to pay, you know, I think sometimes we look at things a little too, um, too black and white when it comes to like we say oh here's the pay but are we really taking like into account like benefits you know how much is the and you know how much is the insurance how much is that out of pocket how much is that going to cost you to go visit your doctor or you know um do they have a prescription plan that's going to save you a ton of money you know those are all things that still put money in your pocket um you just you know it just doesn't come in the form of a paycheck and so I think you have to be very open, you know, like you have to look at the overall benefits. Maybe they do have um, an education allowance or something along those lines that could get, you know, allow you to go to school um, if you're seeking your degree or if you want to finish your degree um, or get an advanced degree, if that's something that's important or, you know, that's going to be something that is needed on down the road. So I think you have to be very 
you have to be very open-minded. I know I've used that term there a lot, but I really do think you have to, you have to understand, we all have must-haves um, when it comes to a job, but I also think you have to really know, first off, what they are, and then what are you willing to negotiate? You know, what are those kind of, those nice-to-haves that, you know, um, I, I really kind of want them, but I'm willing to be flexible. And then that things that are like the icing on the cake, the, those are like, you know, just makes everything much better and much sweeter. So what are some of the things, uh, what are like some of the top requirements that some of your clients uh, look to have when they go out into the job search? So I do think that um, one of the things, of course, you know, we always talk about salary, but also now more than ever, of course, this is um, the post-pandemic life that we lead. Um, more and more clients are wanting their full-on, full-time remote opportunities. They don't really want to go back to um, either hybrid situations or full-time in the office. That is something, and I have a lot of clients right now that are very much you know, the reason they're looking is because companies are considering going back full time in the office. And that's not something that they want to have anymore. And so that's become a big, uh, a big factor for people. And they're willing to be flexible with their, you know, potentially even flexible with their salaries, if that's a benefit that they can achieve. So um, I'm seeing a lot of that. And, um, you know, and also seeing a lot of people that really want advancement, and have opportunities for them to grow. That's the other reason I see a lot of people looking is that it's, I, I really think the pandemic made us kind of wake up and realize one, I've never thought, you know, cause of the, uh, the recruiting world that I lived in, I was always well aware there's nothing permanent when it comes to a job. So um, that's a false sense of security. If you think your job is absolutely permanent, um, <laughs> like um, it, it just doesn't, it, that really doesn't exist. Like it can change tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, and I've seen it. So I've never lived in that world where I like, I would even be the one like, Oh, you know, I had a bad month. Maybe I'm going to get fired this month. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, people feel like you're so pressing. I'm like, no, nope, not in my world. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that's just the world I lived in. Um, and so, you know, and there's a lot of people that don't live in that world. And so, um, I'm like, no, I talk to people every day that didn't, weren't prepared to be unemployed. You know, they were like, I've been here forever. So I, I think that's, you know, one thing is, you know, understanding that. And I kind of went off on a tangent. I was like, where am I going with this? But um, <laughs> I'm like, where am I going with this uh, question? But I also think it's one of those things that people have to, um, I think what happened is that the pandemic basically made people realize that, that we don't have like, oh my gosh, we just had the entire hospitality industry wiped out in the matter of a month, and you know? Was, all those people was on unemployment at the same time too. Right. You know, and they, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, we should live in this world, but of, well, maybe I guess I am saying that, you know, what is your backup plan? Mm. You know, I didn't have a backup plan. Um, you know, I was like, okay, I mean, I kind of had a direction, but it wasn't something that I was like, I don't know that I was uber, you know, excited about it. Like I wasn't like, oh, this is my calling. It just seemed like, oh, corporate recruiting, that's where I'll go. Right. You know? And so um, I think that was the awakening that happened in the pandemic is like, oh, wait a minute, you know, where am I? And does the company I'm working for, do they value me? 
Like, and what opportunities are there that I'm just sitting here and possibly ignoring? Right. So I think those are the things that really woke up. And I'm seeing that happen a lot. It's just people are like, I want to know what's out there in the market. They're, they're curious to know what's out there because they've been in these roles and they feel stuck or feel unrecognized and underappreciated. And they just want to see what's available to them. You know, that's that's interesting because I... I was in that situation at what year? Man, I, was, I mean, I'm I'm going on 20 years in September in the military. Um, but year four, year four, I signed up for a six year year three year three. I signed up for a six year reenlistment, and so that took me all the way to nine years. And when I signed up again for, it, I was sitting there like, man, I didn't have my backup plan. So I, I was like, well, I might as well do this for another 10 years at that point in time, right? But um, that is an interesting state that you make me uh, make there because I'm just thinking to myself, like, I want to do a lot of people actually even consider a backup plan for what they're going to do. Or mm -hmm. is they always lining up? I'm going to do this for a little bit, but then I want to transition to this in this amount of time. And I don't know if we if we see more of that or not. Do you see a lot of that on your end? Um, I think people are being more cognizant. I think they're being more aware and cognizant of having kind of like, well, what is the plan? Or like, I need to like really think about the security of the industry that I'm in. And is it um, something that really gives me, you know, is there a long-term, you know, do I see myself doing this job for the long, you know, for 10 to 20 years? And, you know, there are people that are, have been in companies for 10, 20, you know, years. I mean, that still does happen. And I know a lot of people think it doesn't necessarily anymore, but it does. Um, and so, you know, and I think it's a matter of like, okay, well, and you know, somebody like yourself and others who, when you're faced with like leaving the military, you're, you know, it is in your face of like, oh, wait, what am I going to do? <laughs> and, you know, where I would say somebody in, you know, corporate or the professional world doesn't always have, you know, that kind of stark, that stark reality. And so they're kind of left hanging. And I think that's a little bit of what happened in the pandemic is a lot of people kind of said, wait a minute, like, am I prepared to lose my job? What if my job doesn't come back? You know, wh what am I going to do? Yeah. And that's so that's, that's, that's difficult. And I can tell you that it's, it's one of those things for me. It was just like, it's a difficult decision to even say that you're going to, I know a lot of people I talk to, they're like, oh yeah, I knew I was doing 20. I'm getting now. I knew I was doing 22 I was getting out or even I was doing 10 and I'm getting out. I'm like, that's a difficult decision because you really don't know what's going to happen with the economy. Like, especially during the pandemic, like you speaking of, a lot of people who thought they was getting out had to stay because they didn't know what they was going to do next. You know, like it was a surprise to a lot of them um, and to me too as well. But then I come on the other end. I'm just like, well, you know, it's one of those things where no big deal. Yeah, I can figure it out. And but you got to find a landing spot to figure it out. So when the one of the interesting things that you talked about is that I hear a lot of people at saying that they hope they can do is full-time remote work. Is that, is, are companies really still paying people for full-time remote work? Yeah. I mean, I think there, I think that is a little bit of where we have a disconnect. So I do think companies are still in a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a limbo land of do we go full-time remote do we go hybrid is you know can we go back to the office because i mean at the end of the day 
you know, let's not forget these companies have buildings, they have rent that, you know, didn't go away just because the pandemic happened. Um, you know, so they're paying for these office spaces, um, oftentimes very long-term leases. So it's not like they can just be like, hey, sorry, we're out of here. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, you have to think about like where that organization's at and why they would, you know, I see it from a financial standpoint that they have to make use of the space that they probably have a 10 year, to, you know, five year to 10 year lease on. Um, and so I think, you know, and then you have employees that are saying, no, I don't want to go back. I don't really care about your five year to 10 year lease. Um, that's really your problem. Um, so I think that's where we're having the disconnect. But yeah, there's still a ton of remote opportunities. Some companies have been very um, smart and cognizant of it and said, hey, we can make this work. Um, others were slow to the, you know, slow to come to the, you know, to the table with it and struggled with it because again, companies weren't ready for it. You know, no, I mean, nobody was ready for it. You know, right. I mean, you know, if you had said, Hey, y'all are going to live in a pandemic in your life, we'd all been like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, not with our health resource, you know, like we would never have said like, sure. Yeah. We're going to live in a pandemic period of time. Like, what is that? And so, um, so nobody was really prepared for it, but, um, you know, so I do think that we have to, but I do think companies have to start doing a better job about listening to what employees want, right. um, because I think that's going to be really important. So, so, okay. So how, so when you made your transition from being a recruiter to actually, uh, going to rear coach, uh, how, how does one find you or do you find them? So I, my clients, typically we connect through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn pretty much all the time. So um, I'm always on LinkedIn. So that, that's where really, you know, when I first started, that's where my clients were coming, you know, came from. Um, still a lot of my clients come from. And now just as I've built up a reputation, I get a lot of, um, I'm getting some return clients um, that are, you know, different stages of the career just over the course of these last couple of years. Um, and then I also get a lot of referrals um, through word of mouth just by providing, you know, what I hope is excellent service and, you know, connection and being able to help people and, um, you know, help them move forward. So, um, you know, so it's now I'm seeing more, you know, like referrals and, you know, other opportunities and things like that. But are you typically work with uh, transition to military a lot as well? Too? I have. I have worked, you know, with individuals. I'm not, a, you know, some people. I've never been like, I've never had, you know, as a recruiter, I never quote unquote, you know, sometimes as a recruiter, you may be in like the IT field or you're in accounting and finance or creative. I always kind of worked in a little bit of everything throughout my career. So like I've done clinical research on pharmaceutical, I've done accounting and finance, I've done administrative, which is a huge umbrella, uh, customer service, HR, uh, sales and marketing. <laughs> so I've never been afraid to you know, work with somebody, you know, work with, in, you know, individuals from all different types of industries and being able to do that. So I've had the chance to work with transitioning military um, men and women and, you know, being able to help them, you know, figure out which direction and being able to show them the how to translate this military resume and how can we make it applicable to the private sector. And, you know, taking those skills and, and understanding what those skills look like. You, you hit a nail on the head right there with that military resume stuff. Yeah. 
So that's why every time you talk to somebody who's uh, actually transitioned, they're like, "Well, you got your resume done. You got to get your resume done." But then you like, "This is all I've done for twenty years." Like some people who, how do you tell somebody who actually left them, who left home at eighteen and they're going into the career force at somewhere between thirty-eight and forty-eight to handle their resume? So the first thing you know is you know I I honestly do think like if you've been in the military for a long time you definitely need to get some help that understands the private sector if the private sector is the direction you're wanting to go into even if you want to go stay like in the gov you know go from military to government you still need help with your resume you know you still need because there's you know you still need it to make sense outside of the military if i you know the that you know you want to understand who the reader is and what, you know, what am I looking for as that reader, you know, to make sense to me. So I really think if you've been in the military for, you know, a very long time and you've got this long, you know, I've seen resumes that are crazy long um, and, and, you know, and it's like, okay, well, first off, we're going to start to cut some stuff and that's okay. Um, <laughs> but we're really going to hone then in on the skills that you are best at. Um, and it, you know, you treat it, honestly, I treat it just like any other person's resume from that sense of things. Cause I've got people that have been in the private sector that hone in, you know, they're so attached to their early work experience. And I'm like, you, you know, it doesn't negate the value of what you did, but you got to let it go. Like, it's not going to help you get your foot in the door. Like we got to figure out the skills and the strengths that you have that are going to get your foot in that door. Um, and, you know, and I believe in really talking up that you, you know, especially with military um, servicemen and women, I think it's, I personally like to talk that up because I do think there's added value and added um, asset to, to a company that when you hire a former veteran or hire a veteran um, that they can bring to your organization that others cannot. Um, and so I think it's a, you know, it's something that companies should really be, you know, focused on and, um, you know, being able to direct their attention to. Mm, like, or so my main question, are we like, are we like the difficult ones to work with? I actually don't think you guys are the difficult ones to work with because I think, you know, it's funny because I had one, um, a former military um, client of mine, and he'd been out for a while, but he said, you know, he struggles uh, because he, we struggled in the beginning of his career because he was so used to having things so regimented and so very much in the box. And like, he knew his routine, he knew his schedule, you know, it was, you know, he knew everything well in advance. And then you go to the private sector and you know, and sometimes things are just like, whatever, like, you know, you get, you get a manager that's like, I don't know what's happening. Um, like play it by ear, you know, like, and that, you know, and he had a hard time adjusting to that mentality because that's not the mentality he was, you know, basically kind of groomed for, you know? So, um, and so kind of knowing what works best, you know, he's now kind of figured out what works best for him or the types of management style that he needs in order to be successful because he, uh, but he's also had to kind of push himself to be more open to different types of styles of management and different things like that. I actually think uh, uh, military men and women are probably more of the easier people to work with. Um, and so, um, maybe it's just out of like, 
the the respect that you know that's taught within like you know respecting one another within the military and you know from not that i have a rank by any means but it's like okay you're here to help me so i will respect that you know like you know i trust you you're the person that's in charge of this and i i'll do as you say <laughs> so um you know so that i think it, you know for me i've never had an issue so so you know because it's, it's interesting i think it's an interesting uh dynamic too because um for military service men and women i think they it's a stat that's out there that basically say they 43 maybe even more than that i may be even undervaluing it they they actually come out and get a more their their skill set that they actually in their first two or three jobs they may actually go undervalued at, at salary uh pay and how does one actually defeat that stigma of coming in undervalued when they're transitioning out of the military well, I think you have to be very confident in what you're asking for. And I just had this conversation with some other career coaches because um, he was talking about, you know, people that have kind of had multiple jobs, you know, a lot of jobs in a short period of time was the, the preface of the conversation. And I said, you know, not that some people don't have biases um, or think, oh, I could get that person for cheap or whatever. I mean, those things do exist. But I think how we manage it ourselves is we've got to stop, think, we have to go in very confidence uh, with the confidence saying, I'm worth what I'm asking for and here's why. And be prepared to show like, I know I can do this, this and this. And I also know that the market right now is, um, you know, is yielding this, you know, this range. Um, I'm here to, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to prove myself to you. And so, yes, there is a level of risk that the employer has to take, right. but, um, the same token, you know, um, I would flip and say that the employee takes a risk with that employer, that they will hold their end of the bargain and, you know, have the resources necessary for them to do their job, um, which isn't always the case. And so I think it's just a combination, you know, really anytime when it comes to salary and negotiation, it's really about a confidence factor. If you go in very confident and strong, then you're more likely going to be able to either reach a happy medium um, or, you know, get close to what that dollar is that you're looking for. But honestly, a lot of this just comes down to research. You know, people don't do the research on, you know, I know it sounds funny, but people don't do the you know, I'm, I'm always like, no, this is all about the research and what we have to research, you know, knowing what the market is, researching salaries, re researching all of these things, because that you have to know what you're, you know, you have to know what you're going up against. So uh, that's that's one of the when I first talked to you the first time we were getting to know each other. The first thing that came to mind is that this it, it's a it's a lot of undertaking to be in the career coaching field because. You are a research analyst for whatever sector or sector <laughs> trying to go. It definitely, it definitely is because it's, there's, I always say the job search function is really more about research than it is actually applying for um, the jobs because I would rather you, you know, we're trained in this, we're trained, you know, if you do something more and more, you're better at it. You know, that's, that's, of course, you know, the more you do something, the better you're going to get. Um, or the more you're going to receive. So, but I think it's really the opposite when it comes to job searching. You know, you hear about those people that I've applied for 200 jobs. And when I always just want to say, okay, if you've applied for 200 jobs, then you needed to stop at job 199 and say, 
something in my system ain't working. Like, that's, you know, like, I'm like, at what point do you say something you're doing isn't working? You know, you probably should have been number 100, okay? Probably should have been 75. So if something you're doing consistently doesn't work, then, okay, we need to flip that system. And that's where the research comes in because you're maybe, you know, you're not applying for the right jobs. You know, I have a client that was like literally applying for jobs left and right. She was getting interviews, but she wasn't moving forward with the interviews. And I'm like, and then she'd tell me things like, well, I was, you know, I didn't really care about that job. You know, I didn't really care if I got that job. And I'm like, you understand that's why you didn't move forward in the interview because that comes across. So why are you applying for a job you don't want, really want? Like that doesn't, you know, just saying you applied for the job for the sake of applying isn't going to get you the job. <laughs> or, or, and if it does get you the job, it's just going to get you a job that you're going to leave within six months to a year. And is that really what you want? But that's good for your business though, right? You recurring. You know, people are still making these mistakes and, uh, you know, so it's one of those things that, um, you know, that, you know, I, I want to help people and, you know, just give people the resources and say, you know, think about like what you're doing. And, and, you know, I know there's a lot of things out there that are unfair. I, you know, I know it. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, discrimination doesn't happen uh, low wages. I mean, there's a lot that's wrong with the system. I totally get that. But at the end of the day too, um, you know, we have to just kind of, you know, uh, hopefully people speaking up about it and having conversations and really trying to make changes will help. Um, but it is also the system that we have right now. So what are we going to do with it and how can we, how can we work with what we've got? So, so, okay, so if we're, so we basically, a person meets you more likely on LinkedIn through a referral, uh, any sorts of matters that you have different lead generations come from. And then you sit down with them, you kind of go over their resume and basically, you know, kind of tailor it for whatever sector that they're trying to go to. Yes. And, and I, so I work with them to really understand where they want to go and why didn't they want to go there. Okay. And so then you, you talk about a, like a career vision uh, plan that they should come up with. Can you explain it to the audience? Yeah. The career vision plan is basically your roadmap to get you in the direction that you are looking for. So um, I'll give an example. I had a client that you know came to me. She'd been applying for all these jobs and um, she was like, I want to be a, you know, a C-level executive within an organization. Um, the problem was she hadn't even been, um, a director. She'd been a manager, but she hadn't been a director. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to tell you why you're not getting, you know, interviews for your resume. Um, it's because you're trying to skip like three or four steps. And so what we need to do is we now need to craft a plan. And I'm not saying that we can't get you into that C-level position, but we got to figure out the steps, you know, you're going from here all the way over, you know, to there and, you're not, you know, that's what there's this big gap in the road. So look at, I look at it as a map. I ask people to, Hey, craft your dream job. Some people, I know people cringe when I say that to them sometimes because they're like, well, that doesn't exist. Or I don't know what that would be. And I'm like, no, what is it that 
you know, when you see yourself at work, where do you see yourself working? You know, what kind of company are you working for? Um, what's your title? What's your salary? How many days off do you have? You can get as specific as you want, but craft that vision for yourself and always, you know, keep in mind what, what are the important things for you. And then, you know, then we take, you know, kind of the big vision and then start to funnel it down into, okay, where are we at now and how do we get there? And so what are the steps that we need to do? So, you know, the first thing I had this other, this particular client do is I was like, let's take a step back and let's look at positions that we know we could get you interviews for. And, you know, and ultimately she did in a very short period of time, she started getting, you know, we redid her resume, we redid her LinkedIn profile, and then she started to get, you know, and then was applying for more, what I would say are the next level of positions. And she's now been with the company that um, she's very happy with and very excited. And, you know, so now she can start to look at this next step of like, okay, well, what do I have to do to keep getting advancement and promotions either where I'm at or outside. And so what are the steps involved with that? And it's just really a roadmap of, you know, giving you that direction and also gives you that end goal of what that end goal looks like for you. And what do you envision that looking like? Maybe you don't want to work in 20 years, you know, maybe you want to retire early. What do you got to do to retire early? Um, you know, you don't just wake up one day and be like, well, I've got enough money in the bank account today. So I'm going to, you know, you have to plan for it. So um, that's really what, you know, the career uh, vision action plan is all about is, is planning for the next steps in your career. Oh, that's amazing. So that's a lot of information too. Uh, but the thing is, I heard from all that is basically you need to research that too. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, absolutely. So. Because you got to know, so to, to, if you, even if you don't have that dream job set up to where you want to be uh, a COO of a company or somebody that you still got to even know what levels of operations that you got to go through to even eventually achieve the opportunity to be a COO. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, you know, you, you, we just, you know, we can all have, you know, it doesn't mean that we have to put those goals to the side and say, oh, well, that's not going to happen. Um, it just isn't going to necessarily happen today, you know, but there's a reason it's not going to happen today. And it's, you know, either we're overshooting and we, we're missing a big chunk of it, you know? Um, and we're also, you have to look at the reasons also like why you're not happy in your current job. You know, because is it more, you know, what is it? And there's always external factors, but what is it internal as well? Um, because you're going to carry that with you to every single job you've got and until you fix that. Um, so it's a lot of, you know, it's a mix. It's a mix. And job searching is, um, you know, it's hard. It's mentally and emotionally taxing. And, you know, it takes its toll on people. Yeah, I can I can believe that it could take a toll on people a lot. I can I can see that. Um, it's it's got to weigh on them because it's just it's a stressful problem. Through, so okay, so they come up with their career action plan of how they want to, or their vision plan of how they want to go about their job search and what steps they want to take to get to those levels. So after that, then how do you then then what's y'all next step after that? Y'all actually start applying. Yeah, then we start making the plan into action. You know, you take that, you take the plan and you move it into action. Um, and you start applying for the jobs and you start, um, you know, 
being um, you start applying for the jobs and you start identifying the right types of job opportunities and the types of uh, companies that you want to work for. Networking is a big uh, factor into that as well. And where, you know, who to network with, getting connected, that's also a big thing as well. So, and, you know, putting yourself out there and reaching out and connecting with people that you may not otherwise have thought about um, speaking with. So my next question would be, I guess, then how oh, how important is uh, actually doing the actual building out LinkedIn, building out your LinkedIn to match your resume? Yeah. So the LinkedIn profile, I say, you know, some some people may say even has a lot more weight than a resume because it's 24 seven. It, it's a live living resume in essence. So um, but it's also social media. So you have to be mindful of like, OK, how do you want to show up? What is um, I talk often about what is your personal brand? And, you know, what is the what is the message that you're sending when I go to look at your profile? You know, is if you say your, you know, uh, digital marketing specialist, you know, so I probably then expect you to have, you know, maybe a creative banner, you know, or something that would showcase something, you know, or, you know, a portfolio of your work. Um, you know, so like, these are all aspects of things that you can utilize from the profile. And, you know, and you can also have you get a lot more space than you do on a resume. So um, a lot of people think about just copying and pasting their resume to the profile. And the reality is you actually want to expand upon that. You want to tell a story. You want to give us a little insight into who you are. Um, what are your goals? What are you looking for? Uh, you know, what is a little bit of your personality uh, and being able to do that? So it's a, you know, I think it's definitely more complex because obviously it's digital and, um, you know, and it's uh, on this huge platform, but I, you know, I, I'm a huge LinkedIn, um, user. So, uh, when it comes to my clients as well as for my own business. So, you know, and I think it can be a game changer for people. Um, but you know, the first step is really having a strong type profile so that you're attracting the right people. So I know mine's is not attracting <laughs> Now, based on what you just said, I was sorry thinking about things that you said. I was like, oh man, that's not that might not be right. Mine needs to be updated as well. I just I told a client this the other day. I was like, literally, mine, um, they're always works in progress. Mine is just the last on the list because by the end of the day, I'm just like, I don't want to work on another pro. I was like, I'm done working on profiles for the day. So I don't I don't I don't tackle mine. So wow. So you do so you work on LinkedIn profiles as well. Yeah. So I do work on, um, um, I call myself a LinkedIn strategist and um, really just helping, you know, professionals with their LinkedIn profiles. Um, and I do that from like a career perspective of how to, um, and I've started to work with a few people that are like small business owners um, in, you know, being able to help them craft their brand and, you know, and also some consultants as well um, that have transitioned out of the corporate or consulting now. How do I, you know, how do I take my skill set and my expertise and how do I show up on the platform, which is very much the same with, you know, career professionals from that standpoint. So, um, you know, because I had to change how I was on the, I mean, I was on the platform when it first started. Um, and, you know, I didn't use it. I didn't know how to use it. Um, you know, and then I got on it and, you know, I knew I had to make use of it. And so, um, 
just started to teach, you know, in the beginning, I just started to teach myself and I would absorb any and all information I possibly could. I took classes on it and was, you know, um, would listen to, you know, speakers that are, you know, been doing it for years, taking their tips and techniques and then, um, you know, applying that to um, job seekers. You know, so now now I have a selfish question now. Okay, so like if you're so if you're doing more, what happened if you on your LinkedIn profile, you're like in this instance, uh, content creator, but so slash I know supply chain management. Which one should you actually focus on? The whichever priority that you have first, or or should both be there? You can actually. So it is a little. It is sometimes a little hard to have like dual personalities, but it's not impossible. So it's just about crafting it in a way that, you know, it sends a consistent, it sends a consistent message, but it also sends a message that makes sense. Um, A lot of people just throw stuff up there and then they're like, okay, I don't know like what this person wants to do or where they're going. Um, But it's, you know, it's a blend of like, okay, you know, you think about like, I always kind of say like, think about like Superman, you know, like one moment he's Clark Kent and the next minute he's Superman. So you've got to find that, you know, like how you balance that, you know, that from that standpoint. Um, But you can do it. It, You can easily do it. You can talk about both. um, If you know, you have two directions that you're going in and you know how you got, you know, and where maybe they intersect and how they intersect. Yeah, I, I know when I started my LinkedIn page, I was like, "Why well, I got to get a LinkedIn page because I know I'm about to, I'm about to get in the military. I got to start connecting with people. I got to start doing all the things that people say you got to do on LinkedIn. But then I was like, well, I could, without you saying the way you said it, I was thinking about it at the same time too, as uh, as brand awareness. As yeah. where it's almost like, a, it's, like you say, it's, it's pretty much advertising for your next job too as well. And I was like, well, if I post like, you know, content from my shows, things of that nature, where I'm actually interviewing candidates, things of that nature, I could be a personality somewhere. And I'm like, well, this is like a recipe. This is like a, a portfolio that, that grows with me over time. I just post to social media. So that is something that I didn't really think about as I was doing it. But it does make sense from that standpoint of actually just doing the content that type of way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it, it's a matter of like, who we are, you know, and the other reality is too, is like, our jobs don't define us. Like, I'm not just, you know, I mean, you know, you know, I'm not just a career coach, you know, I'm a mother, I'm, um, I'm a sister, I'm, you know, like, there's, other, you know, I have a nonprofit, um, you know, so like, there's all these things that we're you know, you're not just a former, you know, you're not just a veteran, you're not just, you know, so we all wear, we wear many different hats. And so I think nowadays, um, you can have that different dualities of presence when it comes to LinkedIn in particular, Um, because, you know, you can be the multiple people and, you know, have like multiple streams. And the other reality is having multiple streams of income and sources like that. That's very common now. And, you know, and not just quote unquote for entrepreneurs, um, but for, um, I was going to say the average person, but that sounds very, <laughs> it's like as Our- entrepreneurs, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was like that. I was like, that sounds snooty. <laughs> I was like the average person, but um it's just a real me folks. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, but having multiple streams of income, 
you know, that's, that's a common thing nowadays. And, you know, and so it's one of those things that people have to really, um, you know, and you can be good at a couple of things, you know, like it's, it is possible to have multiple talents. <laughs> true. Absolutely. It's true. So, so I guess after you start, you, you start trying to uh, implement the, the vision plan um, of your client, then this leads to where they, you hope they start to land interviews. Yeah, then um, start to land interviews, start to do networking, reaching out to people, um, you know, pushing themselves out there, getting themselves out of their comfort zone, um, and then start to land those interviews and really just make sure that they have, you know, tight stories that they can tell um, about their careers and be able to answer questions on, you know, be able to understand what the purpose of some interview questions are, why you're being asked, and then being able to, um, you know, represent themselves in the best light possible. Mm. So sometimes typically when your candidates does not get selected by uh, the company after they interview rounds or things that nature, do you typically get those companies reaching back out to you looking for those candidates afterwards? Um, you know, sometimes you, you may, like, I think that, you know, it's really important to know that, you know, it's not uncommon for somebody, if you don't get the job offer, um, you know, and I know it sucks to say, well, I was second, you know, second best, I wasn't the first choice, but, um, it's not uncommon for the first person to been given the job offer and not to accept it or not to even start the job. You know, they'll accept a job and they'll accept the offer, but not start the job. And that's why you'll see a post that's like, oh, that job's back open. Why is that open again? And mm -hmm. so, you know, keeping your eyes and, you know, if it's something's really important, you know, um, some companies don't always do it just depending on the selection of the candidates if they weren't like super sold on somebody but if they're super sold on you know if, there's also times where it's just you know it's a very close you know it's very close between candidate a and candidate b and you know and then you're just like you're kind of like you know you know splitting hairs basically on who to t pick um and so you know, if something does fall through with that first candidate, then a lot of people, yeah, will reach out, companies will reach out and connect and say, hey, we do still have this open, this is what's happening, and ask for that, you know, and see what their availability is. So how do you, uh, so do you have candidates or clients, I should say, do you have clients actually apply for multiple jobs in, in one side, inside of one company? How do you manage that? So I always suggest to people, go for the job that you're most qualified for. Go for the job that you're most qualified for. If you see jobs that are like, you know, um, if there are multiple jobs, you know, and there's ones that you're on probably a little bit lower, probably don't, you know, if there's two that are your neck and neck with, then okay, maybe you do apply for both of those. But if there's one that you're just like, no, this is like, the top one, then apply for that one because um, a good recruiter will know what's also happening um, and what other requisitions they have open so that they can then refer you in to those other opportunities if that position doesn't work out. So that way you then have more of a direct referral as opposed to um, you do get a little bit of a red flag because when you go to apply on a company's online system, and the, um, you can, as a recruiter, you can see all the positions that they've applied for. And so if you're applying for like multiple jobs at the same time, um, you know, and then you're kind of like, well, I don't get where, why you're applying for this when you're applying for this, you know, if like there's too much difference, 
then that becomes a little bit of a red flag. Um, so you really have to be mindful that, um, you know, that, you know, unless it's like Amazon, for example, which has hundreds of recruiters and they all work on different things. And so one recruiter may not, you know, know what some openings are or whatever, but in mid-sized companies and even large companies, recruiters have access to the same database. Right. And so they can see that. And then it's like, oh, that becomes a little bit, um, you know, can be a little bit of a red flag if you're, if you're moving in that direction. So once they, uh, so let's just say the candidate, your, your candidate gets hired, uh, or not hired, but offered the job. Do you have to win negotiating the, uh, the salary? Yeah. I mean, I do offer to that negotiation. I always tell people always negotiate, never leave something on the table. Like really think about the things that you really are looking for. Um, examine the offer from every single angle. Um, I review offers a lot for my clients as well. Um, and I do that because, you know, I, I just get, I said, you know, and it doesn't have to even be me. Like you can ask, you know, a friend or a family member to have their set of eyes look on it and just get a different perspective that you may not have otherwise thought about and ask, you know, be able to make sure you're asking the right questions and, um, but, you know, always negotiate, always never leave something on the table. And because, um, you may not get that opportunity and that is also a step in the, that can help you further down the road in your career when you negotiate just that extra thousand or, you know, 5,000, whatever the case may be, that's going to be an impact on the jobs you have in the future. Mm, I didn't think about it like that. That is, that is uh, another wrench in it, huh? So, okay. So is there a, is there a, a, a right way to turn down a job? Always do it very politely. Never burn a bridge. Mm. Um, you know, just if it's not the right job for you, just be open and transparent. Thank the people for their time. Um, you know, keep a door open because you never know when that, when you may need to go back through that door. <laughs> and so, um, you know, just the same professional, you know, have a professional attitude about it. Um, you know, never, I know recruiters, you know, there's a big, topic which we could talk about all day about ghosting and you know just never um you know it happens yes recruiters ghost people i know but candidates ghost recruiters and companies all the time too and so it, it does go both ways so i think that we just need to do better on both sides of the fence and just you know wrap up our relationships if you're not interested in an opportunity or you're not interested in moving forward you know you don't even have to have a conversation just simply send an email if you're if you don't um, you mean some people are afraid of like confrontation. It's, it doesn't have to be a confrontation. Just, you know, send a polite email that says, Hey, I'm no longer interested in this. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I've had something else, you know, presented to me, which I'm going to pursue. And, you know, that's all you have to say. You don't have to give a big lengthy. Gotcha. So what's the, the what's one thing that uh, you suggest that all your clients or any other listeners that's out there listening to this, what is one thing that you would suggest to them that they do the most as they're starting their career uh, choice? It's just really, honestly, I think just understanding what you're looking for, um, wh whether it comes down to the company, um, you know, what kind of management style you work best in, 
um, and what kind of job duties you're interested in. What do you not want to do? I mean, we all do things that we don't want to do. So, uh, but, you know, what are the things that you really want to strive to do? What do you need to do to get there? Um, you know, really, you know, don't be afraid to say like, this is my dream job. You know, like this is what I hope to be, you know, this is what I plan on doing in X, Y, Z. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that if you put it out there, it can come, it, it can come true. It can come to reality. Um, but also know you got to put in the work for it and, you know, it's a process and that, you know, it, you've got to be, um, you really got to be prepared to go through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's often, and that's where I think just a lot of people are, you know, they're there. It's not when they encounter the ups and downs of finding a job, which you're going to do, um, it's his, you know, you're going to have the good and the bad with it. Um, you know, just remember that's a moment and that, you know, in, when you get, you know, when you do get rejected, cause you will get rejected. We all do. I mean, it was just part of life. Um, it's not, it's so not about you. And I know it's hard to detach yourself from that outcome, but it really isn't about you. And instead of staying stuck in that moment, you need to be able to move on from that moment. That's powerful. That's powerful. So I appreciate you, Melanie, for being here. Uh, where can people find you at? Yeah, so you can, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn, Melanie Mitchell Wexler. Um, you can easily find me there. And then, of course, my website, which is uh, www.findsucceedachieve.com. Uh, you can connect to, You can uh, connect with me there as well. And we'll link all that down in the description as well, too. Thank it's you. For having you here. And can you stand by for me? Yeah, 